This episode of Proper English is brought to you by Four Poems. Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Alison. And we'd like to welcome you to our podcast, which, as you know, is called Proper, Proper English. English. This week, we're dispensing with what's the difference and idiom of the week. Yeah, we're talking about poetry written in the English language. We love a bit of poetry, we mm -hmm. do. Every poem is a puzzle to unravel, a journey to enjoy, a story to appreciate. There can be many meanings to understand, which can make it quite a challenge for English language learners. But trying to decipher English poetry can be a satisfying exercise. And sometimes it's just good to relish the rhythm of the words, like in the following poem by Robert Louis Stevenson. Now, you may have heard of Robert Louis Stevenson. He was born in Edinburgh in 1850 and he died in Samoa, of all places, in 1894. And he's perhaps most famous for his novels, Treasure Island, mm. Kidnapped and, of course, The Strange Case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. He also wrote a lot of poetry and this is one from a collection of his poems, A Child's Garden of Verse. And it's called From a Railway Carriage. Faster than fairies, faster than witches, bridges and houses, hedges and ditches, and charging along like troops in a battle, all through the meadows, the horses and cattle, all of the sights of the hill and the plain fly as thick as driving rain, and ever again, in the wink of an eye, painted stations whistle by. Here is a child who clambers and scrambles all by himself and gathering brambles. Here is a tramp who stands and gazes and there is the green for stringing the daisies. Here is a cart run away in the road lumping along with man and load. And here is a mill and there is a river each a glimpse and gone forever. Yeah, it really gives you that feeling that you're whizzing along at great speed through the countryside. You can practically hear the clatter of the wheels on the train tracks. And some lovely alliterative words, lumping along, faster than fairies. Alliteration is when the poet uses the same sound or sounds at the beginning of words, usually consonants. Oh, and there are assonances in there as well. Oh, OK. Which is when the vowel sounds sort of match or rhyme. Like, for instance clambers and scrambles and gathering brambles mm. so the ah sound is right. rhythmic there nice yeah yeah. yeah 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 and something else i noticed like troops in a battle except of course you didn't say it like that because that's that's not how we speak you said troops in a battle running the words together yeah troops in a battle <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also like ever again not ever again We've talked about this before, haven't we, with the, uh, with the R, yeah, ever yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, really, we should say proper English, but we don't. <laughs> I know, we emphasise <laughs> it though. When, when we're emphasising something, it's fine. But Yeah, uh, I suppose you're right. Yeah. yeah, no, just sounded really nice. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Now it's your turn, Ali. Mm -hmm. What you got? What do you got? Well, I'll tell you what I've got, Dave. I've got a poem by a poet called Oliver Herford. Never heard of him. Well, not that you should know everyone who came from your home city ever, but he was born in Sheffield in 1860. Well, that lets me off the hook then, over a hundred years before I was born. Whew. <laughs> he moved with his family to the States in 1876, 
where he eventually settled in New York and lived there until his death in 1935. Oh. He was known as the American Oscar Wilde. Was he? Mm. He used to draw cartoons and wrote lots of humorous verse, like this one, for instance. It's called The Moon. Listen, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. The moon is like a big, round cheese that shines above the garden trees and, like a cheese, grows less each night, as though someone had had a bite. The mouse delights to nibble cheese. The dog bites anything he sees. But how could they bite off the moon unless they went in a balloon? And human people, when they eat, they think it rude to bite their meat. They use a knife or fork or spoon. Who is it, then, that bites the moon? Oh, I like that. It's silly. (laughs) It's not nonsense verse like Edward Lear or Lewis Carroll. We touched on Lewis Carroll when we were talking about portmanteau words a few weeks ago. But you're right, it is silly. Yeah. It also, technical term, uses simile Uh in the first verse. The moon is like a big round cheese. Yeah, a similarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the idea that the moon's made of cheese and that a mouse would nibble on it is fanciful. Ridiculous. Especially as mice don't actually like cheese that much. What? I mean, they'll eat it if there's nothing else, but they much prefer sweet things like peanut butter. I think you're getting off the point here, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) It's silly. It has no foundation in truth. The idea that a dog or a mouse would travel to the moon in a balloon to take bites out of it is fantastical, surreal. It's just playing with words for fun, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. But I have a serious observation to make. Mm-hmm. Both these poems are in rhyming couplets. In what now? Rhyming couplets. The last words of every two lines have matching sounds. They rhyme. So in the first one, it's witches and ditches, battle and cattle, and so on. Ah, yeah. And in this one, you've got cheese and trees and night and bites, etc. Do all poems have rhyming couplets? No, not at all. There's something pleasing about rhyme, but it's not necessary. Some poems don't rhyme at all. Some poems have alternate rhyming lines. That's right. There are all sorts of different kinds of poems. Sometimes the first and third lines rhyme, and that's called ABA rhyme scheme, just so you know. Uh Oh, we have another poem, Mm -hmm. one that was requested by one of your students, Ah. Misha, from Russia originally, but I believe now living in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. This is a different rhyme scheme, ABCB, which means that in each four-line stanza, that's another word for verse, mm-hmm. the second and fourth lines rhyme. Now, we have searched online, but we can't find any biographical details about the poet. Which is a shame. Words are windows or they're walls. A poem by Ruth Biebermeyer. I feel so sentenced by your words. I feel so judged and sent away. Before I go, I got to know, is that what you mean to say? Before I rise to my defence, before I speak in hurt or fear, before I build that wall of words, tell me, did I really hear? Words are windows or they're walls. They sentence us or set us free. When I speak and when I hear, let the love light shine through me. There are things I need to say, things that mean so much to me. If my words don't make me clear, will you help me to be free? 
If I seemed to put you down, if you felt I didn't care, try to listen through my words to the feelings that we share. That feels like the lyrics to a sad love song. Hmm. A romantic, melancholy ballad rather than a poem. Hmm. Thanks for getting in touch, Misha. Our next poem is a special form called a villanelle. Oh. It's made up of 19 lines, with three lines in each of the first five verses, followed by a final verse of four lines. Who knew that poetry was so complicated? I know, it's practically maths. <laughs> this kind of poem is very formal, I think. It goes back in time, Italian history, that sort of thing. Now, the one that I'm going to read is Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. This was suggested by my student, Alexandra, in Astrakhan. Thank you for suggesting this, Alexandra. Dylan Thomas was a Welsh poet born in Swansea in 1914 and is perhaps most famous for the play for voices Under Milk Wood. If you've never heard that, look for the 1954 version on YouTube read by the actor Richard Burton. Beautiful. Oh, it is. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men, who caught and sang the sun in flight, and learn too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men, near death, who see with blinding sight blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height. Curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm. So what's that all about then? Well, at the time, the poet's father was dying. And well, he didn't want him to give up, to surrender. He was asking his father to fight, to resist, to stay with him. Yeah, and it's not just about staying alive and not losing hope. No. It can also apply to any adversity that we, the readers, might face. That whatever troubles life may throw at us, we should do our best to overcome them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And here we are at the end of another episode of Proper English. We hope you've enjoyed listening in on our recitations. <laughs> and whether you're a new listener or a regular subscriber, why not get in touch with us? You can email us at properenglish... Or one word. ...at sapo.pt 
or you can ask us questions on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook if you have them in your country. And don't forget to tell everyone you know about us. Friends, family, anyone who's studying or learning English. And make sure that you like this episode and leave us a nice review and subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me too. And thank you for listening to Proper English. English.